Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh, and I am co-founder of the Union Movement alongside my wife, Bonnie. And uh, we're so glad that you've joined us here. If this is your first time ever checking out the Union Podcast, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, the Union exists just to talk about God's design for sexuality, relationships, identity, marriage, and really just to declare God's beautiful design for all these things, because we really do believe that it is a beautiful design meant to fill us with life and joy and peace and as we live according to it. But we also believe too that God can restore um, restore our past experiences, restore our lives where we've crossed those boundaries, where we've compromised that design. So anyways, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you joined us here. If you are a, ret- a return listener though, we would love it if you would comment, rate, and subscribe, share this. It just helps us to get the message out. Um, recently, Bonnie and I, we launched our first e-course called The Journey Home. And just like I said, we believe that God's design for sexuality identity and marriage is a beautiful design, much like kind of coming in out of the cold is kind of what it means to step into God's design um, for all these areas to come out of the shame, come out of the guilt, come out of the confusion. It's just what it's like. And uh, we really do believe that this journey home e-course could be a blessing in your life or maybe in a a life of your friend or somebody that you know you care about. And uh, it's eight sessions just dedicated to sexuality, identity, um, relationships, how to walk through through shame, how to understand God's God's actual design for shame and how shame's supposed to work and draw us back to him and not not draw us away from him but draw us back to him. So I encourage you check out this check out this uh, e-course on courses.theunionmovement.com or visit our website uh, theunionmovement.com and uh, there'll be plenty of links there to help you check it out. Today we are sitting down with Carrie Abbott and I I really do believe this is going to be an awesome conversation. Carrie has 32 years of experience as a teacher and a communicator on topics of sexuality, um, sexual integrity, relationships, marriage, the beauty of sex, and um, and really God's God's design for men and women. And she does it with such uh, conviction. She does it with um, boldness, but with such compassion and grace. Um, and I know you're gonna be you're gonna benefit from it today. She is the overseer of the Legacy Institute. Institute, and they have an incredible library of resources to help churches, parents, and schools have a better perspective and a biblical perspective on identity and sexuality, marriage. And uh, I really do believe it's going to be an awesome conversation today. You're not going to regret it. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. So let's pick it up here with Carrie Abbott. You're listening to The Union Podcast. The Union exists to bring biblical confidence and clarity to the topics of relationships and sexuality. On this podcast, we unpack the damaging effects of modern sex culture and discuss how to heal from the past and enrich your relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian and Bonnie Pugh. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us here on the Union Podcast. It's such an honor to have you. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, well, we are honored, honored and, and humbled to have you with us. Um, now, you you have quite an extensive um, history and, and influence on the topic of, of God's design for sexuality. You know, you're a radio show host and you have a podcast and you've also started uh, the Legacy Institute. You're a founder of the Legacy Institute. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the heart and the vision and mission of uh, the Legacy Institute? Well, thank you. Yes, it's uh, we're actually celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, 2021, Amazing. which is very surprising to me. 
and I'm blessed to be in my 10th year of a daily radio show. All of the above is under God's instruction. When he mm. tells us to do something, we do it. I have to admit on the radio, I said no. And then he changed my mind, of course. But <laughs> it's a great way to share about what God is doing in his kingdom worldwide. So it's a complete privilege. But the Legacy Institute exists to help equip people and educate them on how to live sexually whole in agreement with their divine design. And wow. our vision really is to bring the light of God's truth to anything that affects your relationships or your sexuality. So we do that through a variety of ways. We have radio, which is a very large medium now. I think our podcasts are downloaded in 88 countries or something, thanks to the digital world. Wonderful. Amazing. And we have uh, events that we do. Often we've done in the past before COVID father-daughter events. We have a, you know, father-daughter balls or a daddy, dad and son events, other events for moms and daughters. Uh, we believe that an experience with truth is really helps cement the truth and something really mm. positive and really fun. We have curriculum and Bible studies and those types of things. And it's been a privilege to try to create vehicles that people will find positive and encouraging, not shame-filled, but grace-filled ways to learn the truth about who they are. And what they're meant to be. And it really all comes down to this. God made us male and female in his image to be image bearers, to bear the image of God in our unique design, our gifts, mm -hmm. our proclivities. And in Genesis, when he and that for those who are new to faith or those who are still figuring it out, the first book in the Bible, and it means origins. So if you want to know where you came from and why you're here, yeah. you go to Genesis. So good. And when you read through Genesis, you realize that God took the chaos that was happening and, and said, let there be light, which is what he often does in our life. And then he showed the truth and he created everything we see. And we all live in the Pacific Northwest. So we know how good he is at that. It's yeah, so exactly. Even in our fallen state, we have one of the most beautiful places to live. And then he decides to create the human person and as the centerpiece of creation. And we are the only part of his creation linked to his image with an essence linked to his image, which is unheard of. So that means each person, each person who is an unrepeatable soul who will live on forever is supposed to image him in some way that is unique. So, and we form this tapestry called humanity and humanity mm -hmm. is meant to have a flourishing time here in relationship with God and an even better time for eternity in heaven with him in his complete presence. And what we have to figure out is how to do that. And so when the Bible says, when God, you know, creates people and then he blesses them and he says, now be fruitful and multiply. He didn't say, don't do that. Don't do that. And for heaven's sake, stop doing that. He said, be, mm. be what I've made you to be. And so our good. human sexuality is really part of the nature of who we are. Sex is not an act. It is being male and female. So good. And living in agreement with that design with all the rest of the gifts and proclivities and, you know, each person is so unique, as you both know, you have children, so you know that they are made in your image, and yet they're completely unique, right? My husband mm -hmm. and I are blessed to have five kids here. We have a couple in heaven waiting for us, messing oh, up the wow. mansion and having fun, right? <laughs> and, and even through adoption, which is, you know, taking someone into your heart, in a sense, they become like you too. It's amazing the, the similarities you start to see fashion yeah. into Beautiful. that story. All of that is meant to reflect on who God is. Yeah. So that's what we do at Legacy is try to help people live in agreement with their design and also try to remind people 
your body story doesn't have to be perfect for God to love you. He loves you. Mm. That's already been determined. Mm -hmm. He wants you to know how much and he wants you to be free to receive that love. And often sexual experiences or wounding or stories that hurt us or that shame us keep us from recognizing that God loves us. And that is the Mm -hmm. greatest barrier to the gospel that there ever is. So anyone listening now thinking I've done the unthinkable. I've, you know, I've committed the worst sin. Um, you haven't actually, yeah. and Jesus died for all of them. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. I just love how you unpack that just so, so perfectly. That's just so on point. One of the things we do around here is just before we get into it, cause we're going to, we're going to talk about how the church can be truthful yet loving without sacrificing mm-hmm. either side, because I think that's, that's what we're called to do yes. as followers of Christ is to preach the truth and to, to, to speak the truth, but to speak it with love, we love to ask a random question. So this is going to be completely out of the blue. Um, Somewhat calculated though. So I heard that you love ice cream, specifically the fattening kind. I saw in your, in, on your website. True. So what is your go-to ice cream flavor? Haagen-Dazs coffee. Yes. I knew it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Say no more. I think you're going to go for there. the fat and you're going to go for something big. You got to go for the real fat, which I can't have all the yeah. time anymore, sadly. But yes, I do love yeah. real ice cream. <laughs> yeah. No, come on. And the coffee flavor is the way to go. I'm with oh. you on that. So like you mentioned, you guys, you and your husband, Greg, uh, are from the Seattle region, the Pacific Northwest, the rainy yes. country that we also inhabit in uh, on the West coast of North America here. But, um, how did you and Greg meet? Well, we actually met in Sweden at a Bible school. (laughs) He was from the Seattle area as I was as well. And I had planned to go to this Bible school to study the word of God, which is, we study about five hours a day and then, you know, there's outreach, et cetera. And he was a fairly new Christian. He was actually going to the university of Washington. He was on the crew team. And one of his friends challenged him and said, you're a new believer, but do you know what you believe? He's like, no, yeah, not, not so much. So wow. he decided to go to the Bible school. I went to the Bible school and we ended up, we live 15 minutes apart. So he's my first and only boyfriend. Wow. God uh, was kind enough to not let me fall into the traps of my young girl ideas. Right, right. That many of us have had. And uh, we studied in, in Sweden and then studied in England, lived in a castle there and studied and came home and then got married. We were really blessed to have almost 600 people at our wedding, which now is it's almost outlandish. People can't oh, imagine seriously. it. But I grew up in a really healthy, functioning church where there was a lot of people who wanted to celebrate that beautiful picture of Christ in the church. And so Amazing. we then went on. The Lord encouraged us to be open to life, which means. Don't do anything to stop having children. If you believe I can give you a good love life story, which I believe. (laughs) And he told me, you need to be open to life. I talked to my, um, this was actually before we got married. I spoke to my husband about that. He prayed about it. He felt the same way. So God was blessed. We were so blessed to have a lot of children, but I'm grateful because we had some miscarriages in there and people often think that they can control birth which is where the word birth control comes from, the side note. Uh, But indeed, our bodies are mysteriously woven and and life is not as easy as that. Every child is a miracle. And so when people take that on, I'm not putting that burden on anyone else, but I challenge women everywhere. Listen, if you really want to become what God wants you to be, don't get stuck in the narrative that you have to put off all those other beautiful, powerful things. I do get to 
have a radio show. I have written a lot of things. I've spoken all around the country, but nothing compares to the sacred nature of being a mother and being wow, a wife. So beautiful. And they're not a perfect thing. They are the most changing thing to help me become like Christ. Mm. Wow, man, I'll just take that as an encouragement, you know, having, <laughs> having a four month old and not sleeping well yeah. last night. I'm like, thanks, Carrie. <laughs> thanks for the reminder. That's it. That is why we have six children. Right. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. You are Appreciate very it. blessed. You are very blessed. They will be arrows in your quiver. They will go farther than you can go. It doesn't mean you're not going to continue to grow and learn. I think that's the fallacy with big families too, is that the mother is supposed to lose herself and not grow and just get caught up in, you know, dinner. Um, all those things are true. You die to yourself more, but you become more. Wow. And that's what has given me the ability to stretch, to learn how to multitask better and to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit to say what is most important here. And he tells us if we do that, we'll become fruitful. So after we, after we met and got married and were open to children, had lots of kids, I started speaking when I was pregnant with my second child. Wow. I had actually gone and gotten my securities license at Merrill Lynch and worked for Oppenheimer. And that's kind of a funny story, but I knew I'd be in ministry and my husband was very supportive. So we went ahead and, and moved in that direction. And I was with uh, Pregnancy Resource Center Ministry for many years learn to speak in schools, which is where I started. I never thought I'd be speaking on the topic of sexuality. I'm very modest and the whole thing scared me. <laughs> and yet I love teenagers and wanted yes. to be with them. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. I was uh, with that organization for 13 years, was the, the director for eight. We created curriculum. We trained people all around the country. And then I really felt God impressing on me you need to do even more for parents and leaders and pastors to train the next generation on mm -hmm. biblical sexual theology. There's, and it's pretty lacking, actually. So mm -hmm. I said, okay. So we co-founded a co-founded the Legacy Institute with a friend, and we started doing film production and creating curriculum. And God is wow. so kind to lay all of that out if we listen to him mm. and that's what i've been doing and now apparently we're in our 20th year for legacy so we've grown our family we now are about to have our 11th grandchild yeah and uh so pro-life and proving it is what i like to say to people and <laughs> my children are amazing people my adult children and we have you know a very talented men and women as kids, as our sons and daughters, and they too mm. recognize that they can become, but they can also still live in agreement with their, their biological design, which is be open to life. And at the same time, continue to learn and grow and be the image bearer that God wants that unique person to be. And that is why it's so important that people not get stuck on the physical aspects of sexuality, but they get stuck on becoming a whole person. We use the term sexual integrity at our institute. Mm -hmm. It means being whole and healthy, not perfect. Thank that, thankfully, we can lean into wholeness, though, yes. right. and in all five aspects. And that would be the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, the social, and the spiritual. And when you take your, I'll just use myself as an example, my female nature. And I weave it into those five aspects. I become a whole person integrated. And my feminine nature is infused through those five. So yes. I think like a woman. And thankfully so, because I can multitask on both sides of my brain. And I can talk to you right now with language skills that are actually more adept as a woman than possibly as a man, given my design. It doesn't mm. mean that I'm smarter. It means I'm different. 
And I I can think and infuse my relational skills and my desire for building relationships and cohesion in a family. It actually comes from my hormones that are estrogen package. Women don't know that often, but that is true. And I utilize all of those powers and place them into the tasks that God has given me. So I run an organization. I'm the president of the organization, but I run it like a woman. And I'm proud to say that. And I lean into my design and then I lean into my team's design, whether they're men or women. And when we do that, we respect God's work, his handiwork. And I don't need someone to be me. I need them to be them, right? And that's the beauty of the tapestry, again, of humanity where we can say, if I become me, then I'm going to be more powerful than if I try to become that person or try to, you know, be the same as somebody. We don't need somebody else. We need you. We need, we need you to be you. Obviously like one of our, our values and one of our, um, just something that's so important to us here is the power of testimony. And I would love to hear how you ended up coming to Christ, what your story was coming to Christ, what your family upbringing was and and what that story was. Well, thank you for asking. I actually was blessed to grow up in a in a healthy Christian home, two parents. Uh, my dad was a former marine and my wow. mom was the most positive person I knew, very together, very very extroverted. And I'm the third of four children. I was born one day before my sister's first birthday, so we were Whoa. we were pretty close in age. I grew up in a healthy church that functioned well for families. And I remember growing up in a home where not only do we attend church, but I just wanted to know if God was real. And I started asking him a lot of questions when I was little. I would say, if you're real, then show me. And I'm I'm still kind of that way where that is my personality to say, I believe that you're real, but I need you to give me some proof or talk to me or tell me or show me. And at the age of 10, I made it official. I was at camp and Somebody gave a beautiful gospel message about me needing to submit my own life, not just my parents' ideas, but my own life, mm-hmm. even as a 10-year-old, that I needed to follow him and give him my heart and um, ask him to be the leader. Now, my surrender has has grown over the years. My understanding Absolutely. as a 10-year-old, I didn't have a lot of stuff to give up. You know, I didn't have to go to the <laughs> altar and <laughs> yeah. confess a lot. I do remember being at camp, though, having my counselor pray with me a number of times. I didn't feel like I'd done it right enough. And after a few times praying, she's like, Carrie, you don't have to do this every day. You need to just, you know, move on. So which is sort of my personality. I want to do it just right. And and from that time on, I can tell you that the Lord was very gracious to me. And I learned his voice and my my strongest sacred pathway, if you want to use that language, the strongest way that I feel close to God and and my faith is buoyed is when I learn something from the word of God. Mm-hmm. I love truth. So when I learn truth, it, it kind of washes over me and I like, Oh, that's so good. And worship singing and uh, being in nature. Those are my top three. Most of us have about 12 ways, you know, that we can figure out who God is. And those are my, right. those are my top three. But growing up, that's really what happened. I grew up in a Bible teaching church. And I experienced the love of God. And then I also had something very unique happen to me. I had pastors in our church who really believed that we were all meant to go into ministry of some kind, whether it was full time or in your vocation, be thinking about ministry. So I was prepared for that at quite an early age. So by the time I was 15 or 16, I knew I was probably going to do something. And that's why I chose to go to Bible school after I graduated. I graduated at the age of 17-ish. So I was on the younger side, 
but chose to go to the Bible school where, of course, um, that was two years later, actually. And I met my husband when I was 19 and we got married when I was 22. Side mm-hmm. note. But Amazing. that um, that is the bit of my story. And I was one of those kids. I can say I didn't really see much sense in rebelling. So I don't have a wild, crazy story to tell. And I don't have a sexual deviance pathway that caused me great pain. And so here's why I teach on this. Why I teach on this actually is because the Lord asked me to, Mm. and I feel honored to do it for that reason, because I have a lot of dear friends and family that I know that have suffered under the weight of either somebody doing something to them or just childhood and, and junior high and high school. Can we all just say that's painful enough Yeah, because it's the journey of identity and a lot of, a lot of crazy things happen there, Mm -hmm. but, um, I am grateful that I can speak on behalf of other people, especially those who are hurting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I appreciate you saying that I can relate to that in the same sense of, and I don't have a sexually deviant past either, you know, and people wonder why, why do you care so much? But I think because we care so much, we do see, like you said, it's about a brokenness that we see and, and, and we want to be a part of the answer. We see the compassion of the Lord and him coming, um, you know, with truth. And so then it's like, we want to, we want to reflect that to the world around us. And, uh, you know, today on the podcast, we are wanting to, to talk about that concept. I think the church is struggling right now to find her voice in maintaining truth, but holding on to compassion and grace. And, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and so we want to dive into that because people are, you know, they're maybe afraid to say what they actually think, Maybe, maybe people don't even know what they actually think they need Mm -hmm. to, you know, study Mm -hmm. that out, but it, there's a lot of intimidation in the culture right now of like, you can't talk like that. You can't, you can't be opposed to the, you know, the cultural norm. What would you say? How can the church or individuals within the church, how do we stay strong in truth and grace around this area of sexuality? That's a big question because, as we know, the culture is imposing its opinion that if the if our opinion differs, then it's considered in some places hate speech. Not quite there here in the states, but we're we're getting there. We're following the the example of some parts of Canada. Here's here's first what I'd like to remind people, and I think this is important. Is the first thing we need to know is we need to realize that sexuality, as I define it, is not just a act it's not a physical act you can express it physically and it's a beautiful thing to do and it's painful if you step out of god's story but it is bigger than that and that's why i think there is there is more pressure on it now because though there are those in the world who say your biology is your sex and this is true but your gender is whatever you can relate to that biology. So if you can't relate to that, if it doesn't make sense to you to express it that way, then you should come up with something else. The problem mm. with that is that there is no, the science doesn't match. And we've not seen that it's been helpful to people who are struggling, truly struggling means right. that I'm confused. It, you know, my dad treated my mom this way. And so I don't want to be that kind of man, man. So mm-hmm. I guess men are bad. No, no, no. Your dad just didn't have what he needed to, to function. We can't throw out yeah. the gender that matches our understanding of our sexuality. We can't say that that's not real. I would, I know that's very controversial to some people, but I can tell you after 
been teaching over 30 years. I've interviewed on my show many people who've come out of the homosexual lifestyle, the transgendered lifestyle, met some who've had surgeries and realized later that didn't change anything right. because at the cellular level, mm. you can't change your cells that say male or female. And I go all, with, all the way back to Genesis where God said, I have a plan for you. I know known you since before you were born. I made you either male or female, and then I'm going to pour into you all these other aspects of who you are. And I want you to function as a human being with a body to send a message as a signpost. And that has been confused by people's ideas that we can actually change that reality. And I think it's important for the first for the church to understand that's really the issue. It's not you know, do we need to tell people that, hey, if you have sex outside of marriage and have a child and you're a single mom, it's going to be hard. We have a million stories that tell us it's hard. And the single mom's the first one to say, let me raise my hand and say, I wouldn't do that again. Now, right. She's not a villain. She's no, not a course. villain. But she knows better than anyone why God made it. Oh, I now know, she says, why a daddy and a mommy are needed because we get tired. And <laughs> there's two kinds of parenting. It's mothering and fathering. It's not just parenting. What you two do with your children is unique to both of you. And your children are blessed to have both of you. And again, when you talk to people who don't have their parents, yes, parenting them together and mothering and fathering, they can tell you how important it is. And so we don't have to argue about that. What we have to realize is the discussion about sexuality needs to be full of grace. But the truth is we need to teach people Listen, sex isn't just an act. The, the culture is over-sexualized. Everything is about how you look. Everything's about how you perform. That's mm-hmm. not what God intended. Right. He intended Absolutely. for us as men and women to interact powerfully and fruitfully. And the most intimate of that would be in a sexual union. But outside of that, it's just as powerful in other ways. And that's where I think the church has made a mistake. The church has tried to come up with messages to say, don't lust. Don't think about that act. Don't think about that act. And if you do that act, you know, here's how we're going to walk you back to normal. But they never talk about what it means to be a person made in the image of God, male and female. And that's, again, why we're focused on that pretty heavily. That's so good. You know, like I I love how you just even referenced the beginning in Genesis, you know, but it doesn't take too long after, you know, God makes humanity that we end up in trouble. And, you know, obviously the Bible is very clear about original sin within Adam and Eve and um, and that something did change the way they saw each other, the way they saw God, the way they thought God saw them shifted and changed. And so I understand that this, this problem of, uh, sexual confusion has, has been part of the human experience since the beginning, since the fall of man. Mm-hmm. But when we look at Western culture, you know, as, as somebody who's been in the ministry for, you know, as you mentioned, as long as you have, where do you see that? that this has really started to shift to go down this path that we are in. And and I'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, on the equality act, but like, how do we get from, you know, the 1960s to all of a sudden in the, in the sexual movement to now here we have the equality act just being passed in the United States, which is actually not about equality. Um, But Mm -hmm. like, so what, what is your perspective on that? Well, currently it's passed the house. It hasn't passed the Senate. I don't think, but um, it, yes, I have a lot of thoughts about the equality act, but I'll go back to what you asked. How did we get here? How did Mm -hmm. we go from 
you know, people wondering how to just keep their passion for the opposite sex contained, that beautiful passion that God created, you know, and then for, you know, we used to just help people journey to marriage and not everybody has to be married to be considered a whole person. You don't get completed in marriage. You have a complete mission, but you two of you create a picture. And so that's a beautiful image. But as a single person, you're just as valuable to God. We need to be clear about that in the church as well. Nobody else is going to completely complete you. Only God can complete you. But he will bring another person along that creates another picture, a complete picture of his image, male and female together. I think if you go back in time, you would look at the sexual revolution that took place in the 60s and the 70s, which included a promotion of birth control, which might sound funny to people, but it wasn't always in the church until 1930. All churches worldwide thought birth control was was not a good idea. Why would that be? Because they Mm -hmm. believed that if you kept sexual function, the the one flesh union, sexual intercourse, which by the way, intercourse means communication, (laughs) kind of interesting way to look at it. Wow. And if you kept that contained in marriage, then knowing that children were probably going to be one of the results, then you knew if you had birth control, people had an option to get out of that story. And all of a sudden promiscuity came in. And when birth control fails, then abortion became the solution. And if you look at the trail of how that happened, birth control became legal in the United States in 1965 with 72 or 73, where abortion was confirmed if the birth control were to fail. That's the language used in that really poorly written law. But prior to that, you had the revolution where people said, we want freedom. We want freedom. We don't want the traditional I have to have a family. I just want to have physical sexual function outside of that story that God created. Well, when you do that, what I call natural consequences, natural law and relationship laws like gravity happen. You start to tear down society because family constructed on a male and a female coming together and being fruitful and multiplying. When you have, when you start to tear that apart, you take away a lot of the foundation from a culture And it becomes very self-focused instead of other-focused. And it then it just spirals into as much deviancy as people can get away with. Mm. So there's a there's a very strong story of of sadness, I would say, that I could tell you where the struggle came in with, let's just say, gender identity. Right. Or homosexuality. Those issues have been around for a long time as well, as, Mm -hmm. as you pointed out. And it's just one, it's, a, it's an arena that has just been pushed more. Again, I, I would say, sadly, there are people who I would call activists. They are not the same as strugglers. Right. Mm-hmm. Strugglers, my heart just, just breaks for anyone who says, I really don't know who I am, and I really am confused, or I really Absolutely. don't know what this body means. My goodness, that everyone gather around that person, and there's a lot of help, by the way. But there are activists who really are still in that stream of thinking of let's just push the envelope on everything so we can get away with everything. It's Mm -hmm. a very deviant, ugly, dark, immature, adolescent way to think. And that group activists in every area of our life push people to do what isn't good for them. Mm -hmm. And that's just one way. There's plenty of ways. Right. Look at look at the drug issue. Look at you know, sex is just one area that people get get stuck. But yeah. there's a whole lot of others, too. And there are people who 
push all the time for materialism to solve your problem or making money or buying the next car or having the latest thing. And which is why a lot of people choose not to have lots of children. They, they think, well, I won't be able to have all my stuff. Well, that's right. a lie, frankly, with every yeah. child. I don't know what your experience is, but God has provided more with every child. Not, not so much that we're, you know, rolling in extras. It's just more than enough. And we realize that that's a much greater treasure. So all these things work together. And so I don't want to just say right now it's worse than it's ever been. If you look at history, that's not actually true. That's right. That's right. There's always been some bad. What we have now is a great opportunity, though, I believe, for the gospel to remind people that that pain you feel from that story that you believed and you know now has hurt you. I call those people sexual refugees, people who were lied to. Mm-hmm. It, that 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 relationship in college did not make me feel better or you know that abortion that I got that did not give me freedom now I have pain or that you know that abuse that I, I endured and never received help from I don't feel better these are what people are thinking yeah the church should be the bridge of love to say listen we don't even always understand what you went through but everything you've gone through the love of God and the grace of God and the salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, to give us the freedom to have a relationship with his heavenly father. That is an amazing message. And it's always the same answer. There is no new answer for the church. The church has always been the same. It needs to be the gospel. The the question is, how do we communicate in a winsome, loving way where people realize, no, that's truth. It might be hard truth, but it's going to set me free. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's so good because I think it's so important for us to have the context and how and how we got here, you know. And so I love how you just laid that out. And you did mention you have some some thoughts on the Equality Act. And and I know like maybe for some of us being up in Canada, we, you know, like we've kind of been walking that line in maybe not in not so many direct ways, um, but through a lot of legislation up in up in Canada. But what are your what's your take on on how the church can be prepared in this kind of context now with with this kind of moving into law? Well, if it does, if it does, yes, I stand, um, I I just, stand corrected. And I and does. I would say this: I'm not an I'm not an expert on it. I have experts on my radio show for that reason. I had somebody on with me recently this last week from Alliance Defending Freedom, because they have these cases that they have to deal with based on so-called discrimination or not having discrimination. But but the concept behind it is we need to open the door so there's no discrimination. But we all discriminate all the time. Let's just be clear. I discriminate about what I want to eat for dinner. I discriminate about who would be around my children when they were young. We all make judgments or discriminate. That's a good. So you can't have a non-discriminating society But in this case, they are trying to equate the uh, gender, whatever the person's gender Mm -hmm. is, whatever they feel is overriding all of biology and reality. So that would include putting girls sports at risk, which we already see, Mm -hmm. or people wanting to hire somebody or men, you know, coming into places where women are vulnerable, for instance, if they're in a, in a homeless shelter, even they would say, well, if that person feels like they're male, then they get to be male. Well, not only is that ridiculous on its face, but it generally these non-discrimination laws tend to discriminate against women and children because in the end, that's who gets hurt. So when they say, well, we don't want any discrimination, well, you just discriminated because these 
high school athletes that are girls that have put in probably five mm-hmm. to 10 years in sports, depending on what the sport is, they are being discriminated against because you have a man coming in stealing their record and they will not get a college scholarship. I have, we have three daughters, two sons. Now, of course, they're grown. But three of our five kids were college athletes. We're tall people. So it was, you know, it was a good choice for our kids. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But the fact is, it was Title IX that opened the door to women's sports at the college level, which opened the door to scholarships, which opened, if you notice, you look at a woman, especially if she's a leader, very often you will see she was in sports of some kind or some sort of structured, wow. you know, team or environment, because that's sports is a great way to teach somebody to be self-confident and competent. Mm-hmm. in some way it also helps us learn just how to get along with people which i think is good so there are a lot of there are a lot of other concerns about it of course if you're a nonprofit or if you're a church or a ministry if you're going to have to hire people or they have to come into your your realm and because you can't discriminate against them there's nothing equal about this act this is basically exactly. pandering and i i'm hoping and praying that there are enough reasonable leaders in our country, even though there are many who are not, mm-hmm. that they will not succumb to the pressure of the lobbying people who are behind this. It's always about how it looks, right? right? I mean, unfortunately, in our country, I'm a very proud American. I'm very patriotic. Right now, the leadership that's there is more interested in performing and pandering and pretending than actually really what I would say is is being statesmen and women and actually doing good things for the country. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not a great time for us right now, but I don't think it will last. I believe that God is going to have a say in what's happening. I really do. I'm a a woman of deep faith and I can tell you, I'm not wringing my hands. I'm joining with hundreds of thousands of others and millions who are praying and speaking up and I'm grateful I have the chance to do it. Yeah. That's so good. I love what you said. I mean, you're there, you're talking about, you know, the need for good leadership. Um, and earlier you were talking about, um, that there is a difference between the activist and then the one who's just, you know, struggling. I've been thinking about, um, about that idea and about how, how do we, um, you know, that we need to be speaking for the sake of the struggler, even though the activists Mm -hmm. may jump on us. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like for the sake of the one who is still questioning, we as a church have to, um, give them a, a way back, you know, give them, say that it's not hopeless. And, and even as a Nate, like as a nation, nations, Canada and the United States and other nations as well, mm-hmm. is just that there always is a way back, you know, that yes, like scripture says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn mm-hmm. from their wicked ways, like that God will hear wow. from heaven yeah. and he'll clean, he'll cleanse us. He'll heal us. So yeah. um, it is important to remember that it's not, yes. we're not too far gone. You know, mm-hmm. there's always oh, a promises of oh, restoration. No. Oh no, no. And and when you hear, you know, the Bible tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb, which refers to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Of course, we're in the Lenten season and mm-hmm. Easter will be around the corner. And for those who are just learning about that, it's a beautiful picture of a spotless lamb and Jesus giving yeah. his life for us. But we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The most powerful thing that has helped me believe that change is not only possible, but it's 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 beautiful and powerful 
are the many new friends I have over the years who share their story of being a struggler or getting caught up in a lifestyle that really hurt them, not believing that they could change themselves. Jesus has done miraculous work in their life. They didn't think they were lovable anymore. He has completely convinced them otherwise. And now they speak out. So the testimonies of those who have spoken out about the change in their life and the, the confusion now is a place of peace. They now are in relationships that are healthy across the board, whatever the issue is. I am confident that there's not one person listening to us who is too far from God's reach. Yeah. Not to, and and the church doesn't have to prove to people that we have all the answers or that we're right or that they were wrong or that they, Mm. that's not what this is about. This is about coming into agreement with your design. And in the core of every person, we know when we're doing something that's not right. Even if our conscience is seared deep, 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 deep down. Yeah. If Jesus presented himself in front of us, hmm. we would recognize that he is king, that we're not, and that we are not living in agreement with our best for his sake and his glory, but also for our good. Right. I mean, people want to be convinced, but I don't think they need as much convincing as they pretend. I think what they want to know is, am I am I still worth it? Does God really love me that much that he would work that hard Mm -hmm. at having a bunch of us like myself and you talk about this? Yes, because I already know God loves me. I don't need to be convinced. You don't need to be convinced. But we spend time talking about this to make sure somebody else knows you are so worth it. That, that Jesus wants you to know that he will fight for you, not with you, he'll fight for you yeah. to get you to a place of wholeness and healing and human flourishing, not just surviving, yeah. but flourishing, being loved and loving other people to the best of your design. It's pretty exciting, really. Really, it really is. And I think one of the things that's just brought us so much hope is you look in even, you look in church history you know, like the, the culture in which the church was planted in and in Greek and Roman era, like, like you mentioned, this is not the worst place that, um, that we've been in, in human existence, you know, when it comes to morality, Mm -hmm. when it comes to right and wrong sexuality, all these things, yet that, that very culture, um, that was sex saturated Greek and Roman culture, that's where Jesus planted his church. Mm -hmm. And that's where Jesus, you know, turned the whole story flipped the whole story around and, um, and brought people out of darkness and into light. So, and the, you know, just thinking about that, like one of the greatest tools that we have as just, you know, moms and dads, you know, or just, you know, college students or whatever is, mm-hmm. is that welcoming atmosphere is a place of hospitality. There's this quote from this old, um, like Roman historian where he said, these Christians are so unusual. They share their beds with no one and their, but their tables with everyone. And I think, right. Oh Lord, like, let that be the, te- the, the, um, reputation of the church yeah. today that everyone yeah. would like what you're saying that people would feel worthy. You're worthy. I'm going to cook you a meal and mm-hmm. I'm going to open my home to you. And like those things, um, unlock yeah. the heart yeah. and show even bring some healing to the brokenness. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, first of all, I love food. Um, <laughs> it's just a great way to fellowship. Come on. And yeah, it is. I mean, you always hear about the way to a man's heart is, you know, through his stomach, which too, but there's another saying you should all know the way to a woman's heart is through the door of a nice restaurant. Just keeping that in mind, right? <laughs> Might want to always write that down, gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> I know. 
um, you know, going back to Roman history, too, it's interesting because when you look at scripture and you see the change that was necessary, if, if Jesus is Lord of your life, it will change the way a husband treats a wife because women were really property, too. They were not That's right. valued in that culture. And even the slaves were treated poorly. But they, the, the whole message in scripture is, listen, if, if Jesus is real and you claim that he is Lord of your life, it will adjust all of your family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that was noticeable to the Romans. They thought, wait a second, your wife is not a second rate citizen. Now she actually matters to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting when you when you insert reality and you insert Jesus into that reality, everything is equitable in a sense. You always hear the words equality and everybody wants equality. Well, I think they sometimes think sameness. But Jesus, the way he treated women, for instance, the way that that God, our yeah. father, views children and men and women, there is complete value for everyone. When he made male and female, he said they're both valuable and both equally valuable, but they are not the same. Yeah. And the culture is trying to make them the same. But that's never good in a company. It's never good to have redundancy in any situation. Why would you want two of the same thing when you could have completely different things that when they come together or more powerful and beautiful that is a kingdom principle yeah the world's principle is we want you all to think the same we want you all to act the same and if you don't we're going to cancel you like well right. that's exciting it, <laughs> that is so small it's so small Very that it good. makes me remember you don't know the king do you you don't know the lord of the universe you've not I'm entered into the imagination of scripture where we are going to have unfounded opportunities forever. And you're thinking about these little things that you can control people. God is not that petty, but people are. And so, you know, when somebody is trying to bring freedom to someone, you talk about the Equality Act, that's about constricting people. Yeah, You can tell it's a good biblical principle when it frees people, when it helps them become, mm. right? Yeah, And I don't need you to agree with me to become right we need to bring our thoughts together in a safe way and see what happens when we do that. Right. And that's where the church also needs to realize we need to stand firm on what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. It is true and it will never change. But there are a lot of conversations we can have that help people understand that they don't have to sound like us. They don't have to repeat Christian terms. Right. Right. They just need to know a few basic things. That yeah. God's in charge, we're not. When we submit and he's king, he tells us how to act as royal sons and daughters. It's not that hard. And mm -hmm. if the if we gain an inheritance now and forever, it's a pretty good trade-off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's just that's so good. Um, I guess maybe just one kind of final question I have, and it it's maybe it's gonna turn out to be multiple questions. Big surprise with me, but like <laughs> I I, th I think about you know, the unfortunate exposing that there's been within the church when there hasn't been sexual integrity and leadership, you know, this last season has been heartbreaking to see what's happened, unfortunately, with Ravi Zacharias and, and earlier in the year with uh, Carl Lentz, just where there's a double life. Uh, and, and it usually seems to be, you know, consistently without when there's, when there has been a fall in leadership, it's linked back to this area of sexuality what would you say to a church leader, maybe number one, who is living that double life right now, but also mm. um, what would you say to that church leader who now like kind of just looks at it or even that 
this that everyday follower of Jesus who just goes like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, like we all look at it. It was, it was Ravi Zacharias. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. How did how like this guy was brilliant? You know his take on Christian philosophy and 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 this biblical exposition was amazing. Yet here's a guy walking the line and living a different a different life. So what would you say? Mm-hmm. I guess first of all to that leader who who is living that double life yet feels like I don't know what to do. Well, boy, I, to my brothers and sisters who are leaders, the Bible says that we will be held responsible for certain things that other people won't. But I think I would lead with grace to say, mm-hmm. listen, we are fallen human beings. We, we have a propensity to sin, but that's not a license to sin. What I've seen, and so I would say repent and become accountable mm-hmm. to the right people for the right thing. For instance, I noticed in Robbie's story, and we covered this on our show as well. Yeah, and yeah. There, there's more that's come out. It's very sad. It is. But yeah. he was created in God's image with a certain set of gifts that were unique. And God does not take those away. And so gifts can be used even when sin is present. That's always the shocker for people. But I want everyone to recognize that's the dualism of the life that we live sometimes until we are in God's presence. We have the ability to fall into that. But it's interesting, uh, both Carl Lentz and Robbie set up a system in their life where they weren't accountable. And so there's a couple ways that God keeps us accountable. One is through our family. I know that Robbie traveled a lot. And I would say, even if it looked like he was accountable to someone, the best way for a man to be accountable to his church is to be accountable first to his own family. And I've seen a lot of people throw that off and say, well, church comes first, not my family. No, actually, your wife is your mirror. She may not Mm. say everything that, you know, adoring fans are going to say, but she's going to be the best person, you know, and your children to tie you to reality. Whoa, Mm. that's so good. Celebrity pastors and celebrity teachers. We need to be done with that North America and the rest of the world. We, We are ruining people. When God created humans, he did not give us the capacity. There is no design feature to receive glory. We are designed to give him glory. And when a person receives glory, not only does it weigh on them, first it feels good. You're like, people love me and I don't get that kind of attention at home. Well, you shouldn't. Nobody's supposed to be adoring you. They're supposed to be loving you. But the problem is we have created a celebrity culture in the church. It's it's been very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And um, it's something that those of us who are in the media and other places need to realize we have to stay close to God's original plan for our life, which is our marriages, our families, they come first. This other stuff comes second. And if you get that out of order, you're going to be open for the enemy to assault you. And he knows it because he knows your children and family as a pastor are actually more powerful to protect you than some person who basically says yes to you all the time anyway. I'm sorry, but most leaders go to the person that's going to give them permission to do something that's probably not good for them. And traveling away from your family more than half of the year, or even a quarter of the year is very dangerous. I want mm-hmm. to say to everyone, listen, you're not that special. Yeah, because wow. people want you doesn't mean you need to get on a plane and go somewhere. Now, COVID shut that down. So there's a lot of families that are actually flourishing right now. There's a lot yeah. of leaders who have had a uh, kind of a, a reset and they've realized, no, I need to be with my family. Yeah. Wow. And my ministry will be even better. And Mm -hmm. I say, let's just 
set the system up for the church where pastors can pastor. And if you're not called to pastor real people in person, real time, you're probably a teacher, not a pastor, or you're an evangelist, not a pastor, because pastoring is different. And if you can't imagine caring for people in the ugliness and, and difficulty of life, again, I would challenge, are you called to pastoring or called to teaching? Because if you get out of your gifting, you also are going to be vulnerable to sin. So, I mean, I, I could say a lot more, but I yeah, love so my brothers good. and sisters who are leaders and pastors. Uh, we're actually working on a pastor's project right now to uh, do an online training worldwide, a platform for training pastors in biblical sexual theology. Come on. And best of the best. I love in it. In fact, it will be free. We are so committed. It is going to be available. Wow. Hopefully soon for testing, but... Beyond that, it is because we want pastors to be able to do what we've just talked about in a loving, winsome way, communicate truth with grace. Mm -hmm. And we are very excited about this project. Right. So I guess just to finish off that that last part, like for somebody who's looking at this and they're seeing they're seeing Ravi's fall, they're seeing Carl. How do we as a church, as leaders help instill that this is possible, that sexual integrity and freedom and wholeness is something that's possible. And it's not just, you know, a lost cause. Well, I think you can tell, I don't think anyone's a lost cause. Yeah. I think that's a lie. I mean, I think recognizing our humanity is the most important part here. People that mm-hmm. think they can live away from their design, for instance, if you're never around your family, you're not going to have, you're not going to be close to them. The one major deterrent to sin is I don't want to hurt my family. Let, let's be clear. There's nobody who's not going to be tempted. There's nobody who's not going to have a lustful moment. And if yeah. you're tired, especially bad. So recognizing and actually not playing with fire. And in, in mm-hmm. other words, oh, I can't believe that person was tempted. And my answer is always, I can't. They probably yeah. had not rested enough, were away yeah. too long, didn't get enough sleep. They just ministered to thousands and lives got changed. And right after that is when you're most vulnerable for sin. Yeah. Because you have a win and the enemy wants to take you out. He hates all of us. Yeah. So we have to actually get wiser and say, no, actually, we can all sin. There's none of us that that couldn't possibly sin, even especially in the areas that we teach on, because that's where the enemy wants to bring us down. We need to hold one another accountable into actually living like human beings that can fall and stop pretending we can't. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many book deals you have. That makes you more of a target, not less. Right. Yeah. So wow. humility and reality and loving God enough to say, no, I'm going to have what looks like a very simple life. My heart would be every pastor would pastor just enough people that he can manage to pastor successfully. And that is success. Stop putting the pressure on pastors to get, you know, write a book, get more people there, bring in more people, get bigger buildings. We are hurting pastors. We're not helping them. Yeah, the gospel wow. doesn't need us all to be a celebrity and grow yes. these churches. He needs us to raise, raise up faithful disciples. And if you have one so and good. you have a faithful so disciple that comes after you, you win. You win. That's the part of the, again, it goes back to that celebrity culture we've created, which is not the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. I love that. I love it. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking time to sit down and talk with us. This has just been honestly so, so refreshing. And, and I just feel so built up, honestly, this has been so great. So, 
So we will definitely put a link to the Legacy Institute as well to your podcast. And you have an endless library of amazing uh, resources on your website. So we want to make sure we get those into the hands of people. But again, thank you so much for doing this. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. You're welcome. You too stay in touch and God bless you and your growing, beautiful family. He is using you already, but I know he will continue. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.